And welcome once again to the Daily Gator Daily Thought Podcast. If you are left, you just are not right, my friends. And away we go on this uh, Friday. Call it free-for-all Friday, fun-for-all Friday. I don't know. Clothing optional Friday. It's just Friday. And let's start off with some good news, some positive news. Uh, I think news that most people will say good. Uh, to me, one of the greatest, most talented musicians, artists, songwriters, etc., 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 is Tom Petty. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at one of the greatest acts ever. Um, unfortunately, Tom Petty is no longer with us. He passed away several years ago, but he has been given a posthumous award, reports the Daily Times. Excuse me, the Delco Times. Uh, running down a doctorate, it's called Tom Petty. Uh, to receive post uh, posthumous honor. Uh, the lengthy list of accolades Tom Petty received throughout his career is about to get longer as the late rock legend was set to be celebrated Thursday by the University of By God Florida Gators, uh, my beloved Gators, with an honorary doctorate of music. Uh, Petty, who was a native of Gainesville, where the college is located, dreamt of receiving the distinction throughout his lifetime and it really it shouldn't have taken this long it should have been done while he was still alive um, but uh, that's the way things go and hopefully he can see uh, see well enough from from up there in, in rock and roll heaven to say look at what I got that's cool thank you uh, his brother Bruce Petty is going to accept the doctorate on his behalf at the spring commencement ceremony. Uh, he says, I don't think anyone in our family, including him, thought he would ever be linked with the University of Florida this way. It's such a powerful thing. It was his lifelong dream, and I know he would just be over the top, crazy, happy about it. And again, wonderful news. Well-deserved, uh, Tom Petty. Well-deserved, my friends. Uh, and God bless your memory and God bless what you did and you still do giving all these people, you and the heartbreakers, obviously Mike Campbell, the great guitar player and all the other members, the great music y'all produced. I still enjoy the heck out of listening to it. Uh, and I always will. I believe great music doesn't go away when it gets older. That's what teenagers think. That's not the way it is. Now let's uh, let's move on, my friends, to a uh, a not so nice story out of uh, UC Davis, University of California Davis. A student there, or a former student, I should say, uh, has been arrested in connection with three stabbings, uh, two of which killed a college senior and a homeless man in Davis, California. Uh, police announced this yesterday. The suspect's 21-year-old Carlos Dominguez. He was arrested on Thursday. Two counts of homicide and one count of attempted homicide. Uh, Davis Police Chief Darren Pytel, uh said at a news conference. I'm not sure what kind of sentence they have anymore in California. They they may not just they may not uh, uh, even prosecute the guy. Who knows with the uh, with the governor hair jail in charge there and all the other idiots in charge in so many places in California. He was a UC Davis student until two days before the attack. Uh, 
the college UC Davis said in a statement, uh, Dominguez was in his third year at UC Davis until April 25th, 2023, when he was separated for academic reasons. In other words, he was a bad student and he was, it sounds like he was dismissed, asked to leave and not return, expelled, whatever term you want to use. And apparently he got uh, mad and decided he'd stab some people. I don't know. Uh, it's, he's a crazy person, so uh, we don't know his how sick minds work. Uh, we are partnering with law enforcement to provide access to any and all information as part of the investigation. We're providing support to any students who may have interacted with him. Uh, I think if I was a student there and interacted with the guy that did that, I'd, I'd feel lucky that he didn't go off on me. Um, that's what I would think. I, I tend to st- want to stay as far away from crazy people as possible. Because as the other McCain, my blogging buddy, likes to say, crazy people are dangerous. Not all the time and not all crazy people, but there's a good chance that someone's crazy. Cray cray. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh... 19 cigarettes out of a pack, that kind of thing. They're loco, okay? You sabe? Loco. Loca and mucho dangerous. is no good. Uh, so he killed these two people, stabbed another one. Uh, when stopped by uh, police officers, he had physical evidence on him that might be part of the investigation. And he was wearing the same clothing uh, described by witnesses at the third attack. And all these attacks were at Sycamore Park, Central Park, and 2nd Street and L Street. Uh, that was May 1st. A woman was stabbed multiple times through her tent at a transient camp. Uh, she lived April 29th. UC Davis senior Kareem Abdu Nanj, a uh, 20-year-old computer science major, stabbed to death at Sycamore Park and Central Park. April 27th, David Bro. Uh, a beloved homeless man who was a staple in Davis community for over a decade was stabbed multiple times and killed in the city's Central Park. So this murderous bastard has been stopped. And I guess I should point out that I don't know how anyone's ever hurt in California. They have all those gun control laws. I guess they don't work for guns. We've seen that many times. Many mass shootings in California. Uh, and stabbings too, and all types of other horrific things, terrible things. So, yeah, so much for gun control. Now, let's move on, my friends. Here's a question that uh, the aforementioned uh, other McCain, Robert Stacey McCain, wrote about today on his blog, which is, of course, linked at the Daily Gator. And the Delegator is linked at his blog. Here's the headline he has. Why ex-Fox producers uh, Andy Grossberg, or Abby Grossberg, I'm sorry, uh, trying to encourage anti-Semitism. So why is Abby Grossberg trying to encourage anti-Semitism? Now, why would you assume, or why would the other McCain assume that she was? Well, this is why. Uh, he was reading over headlines at Memorandum, and he spotted this uh, this one from Rolling Stone. And the headline at Rolling Stone is, Producer Tells All. Your first sign of trouble is it's the Rolling Stone, uh, where bad journalists go to become non-existent journalists. 
uh, how Tucker Carlson became the GOP's MAGA puppeteer. So, you know, it's probably some BS in here. But a former producer, it says, on Tucker Carlson's show is revealing just how far the Fox host went to bully top Republicans to come on his show and bend the knee to the MAGA agenda. You know, it's odd because they had the apparently the, the was it emails or, or letters of Tucker saying he didn't like Trump, he hated Trump, but yet he's a big MAGA guy? Can you can you hate Trump and be a big MAGA person? I don't know. I guess you can, you can you know, support the principles of put America first, which probably horrify writers at Rolling Stone who hate America and journalism and the truth. Uh, but they love being really awful writers. Uh, Carlson terrified top Republicans with threats to destroy them if they failed to do his bidding and use his platform to push a personal agenda on the party's leadership. That's from Abby Grossberg, who worked as a producer for Carlson's show starting in August of 2022. Uh, she told Rolling Stone that. Well, if she's, uh, we used to work for him, probably doesn't like him. Is there any reason she would maybe lie? I'm not accusing her of lying. I'm not saying she is. Uh, maybe we'll eventually find out, but wouldn't she have a reason to? Because, hey, she was on MSNBS the other day. She can get fame. She can be on TV. She can help her career. She can get some money. Maybe write a book one day. Who knows? And in this climate, today's woke uh, cancel culture climate, it's it's big business to be a victim or a pretend victim. doesn't really matter. Because there's always a certain number of people who are going to buy your book. So book publishers are going to offer you money for a book deal. And it doesn't have to sell any copies. It can be like you know any anything that Ann Coulter's ever written. Uh, it can be complete garbage. It can be complete truth. It doesn't matter. Once you get the book deal, you get and then you get royalties later, I imagine. But you get a good book deal, you're, you're pretty good. You're probably doing pretty good. So she's maybe watching out for her. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, she says, Carlson pressured Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott to militarize the southern border, tried to threaten Representative Michael McCall over military aid to Ukraine, and pushed Kevin McCarthy, uh, then the aspiring House Speaker, to create the Republican-led Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. I don't believe he did any of that. Now, he may have discussed things with them. He may have made suggestions, but is that against the law? Is that bad? Is that wrong? No, it's not. And I don't really believe Tucker Carlson threatened them. You know what? If you don't do this, McCarthy, you'll end up, uh, you'll end up disappeared. You may commit suicide. You may get Hillary. They said it'll be you got tuckered. And they'll say he got tuckered out. And he's not around anymore, see? That could have happened. I doubt it. I really do. Uh, Grossberg is a former senior producer for Kirker Carlson Tonight. Filed a lawsuit in March against a right-wing TV host in Fox News, alleging Carlson and Fox fostered a workplace climate of misogyny and toxicity during her tenure at the company. So that's the biggest reason to go say these things. You're trying to get a big settlement from Vox, Tucker, both. And maybe a book deal, maybe a spot on MSNBS. Who knows? I guess he may be telling the truth, but, well, the whole thing is that, again, being offended, being a victim, and telling a political story that one side wants to hear is big business now. 
And there's plenty of people who will, who will forego all their former uh, good things they said about people. Suddenly, that's the worst person ever. Because book deal, fame, publicity. And I hope Miss Grossberg is not one of those people. Um, but there. Very sad news. It really is. I, I wish that... Uh, uh, people would just be honest. That's the most important thing to me is honesty. Now, I got two stories here, and I don't know which one to make the feature story, so I'm going to close my eyes and point. Yes, that's very scientific method. All the great talkos did this. Rush Limbaugh did this. Uh, in fact, I taught him this. I mean, if I'm going to lie about something, I might as well lie good, right? Lie big. Uh, but it's almost riot season. Dana Lash on her Substack. Uh, Dana Lash, two facts you need to know about Dana Lash. She is the best damn radio talk host in America, period. And that's from a great source, me. And second, she really needs to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I've made it my personal mission. Uh, the great Dana Lash. Uh, she's writing about this uh, uh, Jordan Neely, who uh, apparently has a lot, had a lot of mental issues, was arrested, I believe, 44 times, threatening violent things, tried to push somebody apparently in front of a subway train. So not the, not the guy you want to be around a lot. At other times, he would dance, entertain people. And again, multiple mental, mental illness issues. I feel bad for him. But he was apparently threatening, acting aggressively on the subway. A and some people tried to restrain him. A former Marine uh, put a him in the what they call the near rear naked choke. I know it sounds like a porn movie. It's not, you freaks, you dirty-minded people. Uh, but he was put in this rear naked choke, and basically, it's kind of a, the old sleeper hold. Uh, and you go out pretty quick. I've had it done to me. You go out quick. If they know what they're doing, you go out quick. Uh, and he was held in that till he was unconscious. And then uh, later he passed away. So we really don't know uh, what what really caused his death. Was it just the chokehold? Was it something else with the mitigating factors? But of course, the left has already made this racial because Jordan Neely was black. So therefore, uh, the man choking him was a former Marine and a white man. So therefore, that has to be racist, right? And Ayanna Presley is already calling for basically kind of under the radar hinting that there, you know, there needs to be really outrage here. She likes to push outrage because it gives her and keeps her in political power. Uh, that's Massa Ayanna Presley. Uh, Dr. Evil, she is bald-headed now. She's the black female Dr. Evil. And I call her Dr. Evil, and I make fun of her lack of hair, not because I, I'm happy she's got a medical condition. I'm sorry that she does. I wish she didn't as a, as a, a person. But she told a couple years ago, she was telling black people, they better, if you don't vote black, you ain't black. She was telling homosexuals, you better vote gay or you're not you're not really gay. Hispanics, you better vote like you're brown. Or in other words, she was I also called the slave master, Anna Presley, because she was talking to minorities as if they were actually her property, that she was their boss. 
and they'd better damn well listen. They better vote the way she says or else. And of course, that's a slave master mentality. But she's already stirring the pot. Uh, AOC's out there stirring the pot. And I'm sure other leftists will join. And Dana Lash is of the opinion, well, this re- let's just read from Substack here. Her title of her latest piece is, It's Almost Riot Season. The left's new calls celeb. A 30-year-old man, she, she writes, died after he was put into a chokehold on a New York City subway. That headline alone uh, sounds horrendous. He was murdered, cried the press, and it's left uh, after they realized that he the deceased, a violent and troubled man named Jordan Neely, was black, and the person who performed the chokehold was white, a 24, 24-year-old Marine. More. 24, I'm sorry, uh, here's more. Uh, Jordan Neely was 30. He was on the northbound F train at the Broadway Lafayette station when he began acting erratically around 2.30 p.m. According to police, authorities say he was harassing passengers, making threats when a 24-year-old stopped in and attempted to subdue him. A physical struggle ensued, leading Neely to lose consciousness. He was rushed to Lenox Hill Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. On Wednesday, a medical examiner determined determined Neely was killed by a chokehold, which is a compression of the neck, uh, and his death was ruled a homicide. However, that does not mean his case will be prosecuted as a homicide. That is up to the Manhattan DA's office, which is investigating. Uh, Neely has a history of prior arrest and was known by the MTA and police, but many believe Neely did not need to die, and there's a growing backlash over the case. It's a shame the man died. It's a shame he had pretty severe mental issues, apparently. Uh, and I certainly wish none of that would have happened. But he was acting violently, threatening. He'd done it in the past. Uh, again, 44 arrests. He, I don't understand how someone at some point didn't say, uh, this man needs mental health, uh, professional help. I don't know why someone didn't take the necessary steps to institutionalize him. Of course, that would that would stigmatize him. He might still be alive. He might be getting treatment he needs, but it's better that he's dead and a a a potential spark to uh, to ignite more riots, I guess, to the left than he is alive. It's very sad. Uh, the man tackled who tackled Neely claimed he was stepping in to help fellow passengers who were scared and threatened. But at a vigil for nearly Neely on Wednesday afternoon, advocates said it was Neely who needed help most and society failed him. I would agree. And I don't know how many people failed the man. And it's a damn shame they did. But to automatically, immediately make it all about race, whether the, the Marine was justified or not, has nothing to do with skin color. Yet with people like Anna Presley and AOC and other communist agitators, well, everything has to be about race because cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. If you get my drift, and I think that you do, uh, Lash writes, you can be sad Neely died the way he did without ignoring the fact that he also represented a credible threat to public safety. Neely had a history of being more than just a menace on the subway. But uh, he had 44 prior arrests for offenses, including assault, 
an active warrant out for felony assault and was known to repeatedly threaten other passengers. He previously tried pushing people onto the train tracks and punched an elderly woman in the face. He's not pure as a driven snow, innocent, innocent guy. He was a violent person at times. He was a threat. It's, it's damn fortunate he didn't kill somebody. Because when you're trying to you punch old ladies in the face and you're trying to push people in front of subway trains, that's pretty damn dangerous. But none of that mattered. None of these people, Anna Presley, AOC, they can give a rat's ass about this guy. If they'd have been on a subway or, and, and been around him when he's acting erratically, they'd probably said, what a loser to themselves and try to get away. But because he can bring them some political power and some publicity, they're all about it now. Now they're advocates. Now they care. Horse, you know what? Uh, again, a 44 prior arrest, disorderly conduct, assault, fair evasion. Uh, he was actively being sought for questioning in, in connection with the November of 2021 assaults. Uh, criminal records started with petty crimes on the in the subway, but his crimes had gotten more serious over the last several years. He punched a woman in her 60s and was being investigated for possibly pushing someone onto the tracks. He was never charged for that, to be clear. And that's why that's why this piece by Dana Lash is so important. Again, it's on her substack if you want to read it. Uh, and she had an expert on her radio show yesterday. And this guy know, is, is big into UFC, knows about the rear naked joke. And he said... Uh, there's martial arts where you know you practice this this is not a dangerous hold necessarily if it's done properly it's not it's a quick way to subdue somebody now he's the expert i'm not and i the name the gentleman's name escapes me i'm sorry about that uh but understand this is an opportunity for the left they don't care about this guy they care about one thing and dana lash nails it uh, the local press, she writes, has included this very important aspect of the story. Uh, but the national press has predictably, om predictably omitted it for the preferred narrative of George Floyd 2.0. And the truth is the man was acting in a threatening, dangerous fashion, and someone subdued him. How many times have you seen these tapes of, on subways, trains, public transportation, public place, someone being assaulted and people standing around or filming it? And you say, why the hell didn't you step in and do something? Well, someone stepped up and did something. And something tragic happened. This young man lost his life. That doesn't mean that the Marine did something wrong, does it? Uh, but uh, as Lash writes, there are several aspects at play here. And you, things are complicated. They're not just cut and dry. Number one, by all accounts and official records, Neely had a long history of terrorizing passengers. Neely's unchecked hostility created a ticking time bomb of a situation someone at some point was going to credibly believe that their personal safety was threatened and react to defend themselves. And when someone feels threatened and defends themselves... I don't hold that against them. The left might, if it's for political purposes. I don't. Uh, this is a post-George Floyd era. This is the most important one, I think. To assume that the individual who put Neely in a chokehold did so because he was motivated by race 
is only possible if you view the world through the same lens of racial prejudice that you oppose. The biggest racist are the race pimps I'm always talking about and writing about. That multiple, that multiple other passengers assisted to hold Neely suggests that the Marine wasn't the only one who believed that Neely was dangerous and posed a threat. Again, when you threaten people, they're going to defend themselves. It's a human, it's human nature, it's instinct. It comes down to fight or flight, and there's nowhere to, to have flight on a subway train. You're kind of kind of stuck in there. Uh, please go read the rest at uh, uh, Dana Lash's Substack, and she's got some good stuff. She's got a tweet by AOC uh, saying that the man was murdered. And again, ginning up the hate, ginning up the anger, ginning up the bitterness. And if we get more riots, do I think people like Ayanna Presley or AOC will give a damn? No, because they see it as like a way to gain more political power for themselves, quite frankly. And now I want to talk about a man you may or may not have heard of, Ed Smith. He was a uh, black man historian. And I linked this story today on my daily top five, but American greatness. Uh, Brian Robertson wrote a piece actually yesterday about Ed Smith and the end of American history. Edward C. Smith passed away peacefully on March 11th. He was 80. Smith was a first tenured black professor at American University where he taught history for 45 years and founded the school's Civil War Institute. For decades, Smith lectured on art history and led tours to the Smithsonian Institution, the National Geographic Society, the National Park Service, and the Historical Society of Washington, D.C. He was also active in politics, but not in a typical partisan fashion. He served in both the Johnson and Carter administrations and also wrote speeches for several Republicans, including uh, Senator James Buckley, a Republican from New York. But these impressive achievements uh, by a man, by the way, who'd never had a college degree are not Smith's principal legacy. Many of his students, myself included, can attest that his great gift was the passionate reverence for American history and all of its complexity. History's complex, my friends. I preach that a lot. Ed C. Smith got that. Along with a love of country in his native Washington, D.C., that reverence was rooted in a deep appreciation of his discipline as a, window, as a window into the human condition and an essential front, or excuse me, font of wisdom. Uh, skip over that part. The relentless impulse to in, instrumentalize history for ideological purposes, which the left does every day now, and the right too sometimes, which became practically universal in academic circles over the last few decades, was a trend Ed regarded with increasing alarm. He fought against it to the end. Those today within academia fight against the politicalization of history are few and far between, which makes Ed's passing all the more poignant. Very important point about him. He fought, and this woke politics weren't around back then. He could stand up and say, whoa, 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 hold on. That's not true that you shouldn't say that. He respected history for factualness and he respected it for uh, not a way to comment on, on ideological things. 
is what I'm trying to say. Ed well understood uh, the country has, has had a difficult history with regard to racial animosity, but he also appreciated the fact that this hit, that his history is unique among Western nations because of peculiar historical circumstances. Our noble experiment of reflecting the equality of all men under the law has been arduous and has experienced serious setbacks at times. The problem of reintegrating millions of formerly enslaved Americans into society has been too long in its settlement, but it was an enormous challenge that was not easy to resolve. After a long struggle and at a great cost for many who fought valiantly and bravely for many years, we, America, largely achieved equality under the law over 50 years ago. The best of the American saga has been one of progressively expanding inclusion in our institutions, making full citizenship an opportunity available to more people of different backgrounds than any other nation has ever successfully assimilated. Bingo, bullseye, I can't add a thing to it. The left never tells that part of the story. They act, and I've heard them say too many of them, too many civil rights activists, uh, that it, it really is, hasn't gotten any better since slavery. I mean, are you serious? And they preach this message of doom, gloom, hate, rage, uh, victimization, 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 victimization. And I could say that 50 times it wouldn't be enough how much they preach it. That's what they preach because they're selling books, they're getting uh, uh, professorships, they're making big money on speaking circuits by sowing the seeds of hate and division, racial racial tensions, and they don't care about the consequences they cause or help to cause. They're cashing checks, baby, and that's all that matters to them is cashing checks. And I suppose there are some of them who actually believe this BS. That's not what Ed Smith, the historian, the great man, was about. Ed Smith cherished that achievement, the assimilation, the fact that America had that sin, and the sin has been corrected. It's one thing to have sins, to commit sins. It's another another one that should be brought to uh, the, the fore that you atoned, you made up for, you corrected your sins, your wrongdoings. You got better, you improved. That's the story of America that gets left out of history by the left. Again, the left oftentimes makes it sound like it's just the same, maybe even worse, which is ludicrous to the extreme. Ed Smith fought like hell against that. Absolutely fought like hell against it. Again, Ed cherished that achievement and believed it was being ignored in the rush to depict our nation's history as one of unremitting and shameful mendacity. Now, this was late 90s, mid-late 90s is when I first started writing, writing columns for, for papers and it went online. Eventually, I started the Daily Gator and, and the rest is history, and I'm still doing it. I think I'm doing the best I can to add my voice to important things and saying certain things that I believe important because I love America 
I don't want the truth told about America, the good, the bad, the ugly, the humorous, the wacky, the, the everything. Because America is the greatest country on earth, period. I think Ed Smith realized that. The American story that generations of Americans, including African Americans, learned to cherish and revere is, how, is now told as a tale of, this is a new version. This is what the Reverend Jacksons like to say. The Ben Crumps, the, uh, the race baiters, the race peddlers, the race pimps, the race hustlers, whatever you want to call them. The left, the media, white liberals, this is the message they push that is a false narrative that is ripping the country apart. And they don't know how to stop themselves because that's where their fame and money comes from. The American story that generations of Americans learned, again, it's not being taught anymore. Now it's about the tale is about unmitigated suppression and justice and evil. It has taken half a century for this nihilistic, ahistorical view of our past to take root completely. But now that the long march through our institutions is virtually complete, there are very few left to challenge the false narrative and speak the more complex truth. Ed was a vigorous champion of teaching the complex truth. Inconvenient as it might be for contemporary political narratives. He cared about facts. He cared about history. He cared, he cared about the things that taught us about America. That's what a historian does. A credible historian. One example is, illustrates Ed's insistence on standing up to the relentless movement to politicize history and use the past as a cudgel in present day political debates. In the midst of the 1999 controversy in Richmond surrounding a proposal to include a prominent portrait of General Robert E. Lee in a new city park, Ed published an op-ed in the Washington Post titled, In Defense of Robert E. Lee. The piece has been purged from the Post archives, so if you pay your subscription, you, you can read the Washington Post, you can search the archives, you can't find this story. You'd think they'd have all their old op-eds and, and things like that, wouldn't you? You'd think they'd have all that. Why would they purge this piece by a very respected historian? Well, if Ed Smith was around today, he probably wouldn't be very well respected. I can imagine what MSNBS would say about him. They might not call him the N-word. They'd probably go right up to the edge. They might throw the Uncle Tom card on him because that's the trash like MSNBS, that's what they do to people who tell the truth. Especially people like Ed Smith, who are not the proper pigmentation to say certain things. To tell the truth and to love America. And he did love America. And he was a national treasure in my opinion. And people like him are irreplaceable. Back to the story. In a, uh, Ed published an op-ed, again, in the Washington Post called In Defense of Robert E. Lee. The Post, again, has purged the, uh, the article from their, their, uh, their paper. So you can't find a copy of this anymore. Uh, evidently, it does not conveniently fit into the current preferred political narrative. In that piece, Ed described himself as a third-generation African-American Washingtonian who is a graduate of the D.C. public schools and who happens to also be a great admirer of Robert E. Lee. 
Now, someone who studied Lee extensively for decades, it doesn't surprise me when anyone says they're a fan of Robert E. Lee. He was truly a great and noble man. Everyone has their flaws, even him. But he didn't fight for slavery. He didn't fight for that. There's one reason Lee fought. If, uh, if, if Lincoln had never called for volunteers to force seven southern states to come back into the Union, Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, Arkansas would have not left and joined those seven states in the new Confederacy. Lee was a Virginian. As he famously told General Hancock, he could not accept the, uh, the job as commander of all Union forces. He couldn't lift his sword against his home, his native state, his family. That's why he fought. He went with Virginia. Just like so many Virginians and so many generals of numerous states. Personal feelings aside about secession or slavery or any other issue, tariffs, whatever, they fought with your state. He bemoaned the fact, Ed Smith did, that Lee is now under attack by people, black and white, who have incorrectly characterized him as traitorous, slaveholding racist. And that's basically, you hear it all the time now. Even Republicans sickens me to the core. Sickens me. The way they, they demonize a good and noble man. It sickens me. In fact, Ed pointed out, Lee never owned a single slave because he felt slavery was morally reprehensible. He even opposed secession. There's a quote after the war of Lee saying, if he could have freed all the slaves to avoid war, he would have. Of course, the left has tried to spin that to say, oh, well, he, was, he wasn't speaking seriously after the war and he was just making conversation. No, he said it and he was not a man to say things just for the hell of saying it. When he said something, he meant it. Honor was the number one drive in Lee's life. It was a sublimest duty of the human being, he said, is that word, honor. There's nothing above honor for him. And to understand Lee, you have to understand that fact. But again, the people criticizing him, they don't care about the facts. Ed Smith did, thus Ed, Ed Smith defended Lee and, and uh, thought Lee a very noble historical figure. His decision to decline Lincoln's offer to command the Union forces against his state of Virginia, Ed explained, could only be understood in a historical context. What I just told you. In pre-Civil War America, most citizens' first loyalty went to their state. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. They was state first, whatever that state was. That was their home. That was where they first identified and most passionately identified. Referring to the United States of America in the singular is a purely post-Civil War phenomenon. Absolutely true. The, the old saying was the United States are. The states are, not is. That centralization of power, way too much power, in my opinion, in the federal government, wasn't the case before the war between the states. The greatest thing that happened out of that, two things, the greatest, obviously, slavery ending, 
uh, because of a, you know, a really didn't cause the war. Some states seceded in large part for it. Others did not. But it ended it. And that was a great thing. The way the blacks were done after, during Reconstruction by both sides, sucked, basically. And the way they're treated now by Democrats sucks, period. And the way they're done by their own leaders is probably worst of all. But their freedom was won by that war happening. And the other great uh, consequence of the war was United States central power in government in Washington began to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it's still growing and still growing. That was the unfortunate event that happened. Again, history, my friends, is complicated. Uh, again, Ed Smith said, referring to the United States of America in the singular is a purely post-Civil War phenomenon. Uh, he noted that none other than Martin Luther King Jr., who read deeply into Civil War history, came to admire and respect Lee. Concluding his defense, Ed noted that Lee made a most poignant remark a few months before his death. Uh, before and during the war between the states, I was a Virginian, Lee said. After the war, I became an American, and he was a leading voice for re reunification of the country and for civil rights. Again, history won't teach you that because that's a no-no. History has become a weapon of propaganda rather than truth, and that's uh, to use history other than to educate and illuminate people, to use as a cudgel to divide us further, or falsify history is, in fact, to me, evil. Ed Smith saw no contradiction between his appreciation of Lee, which was a rather mainstream understanding of the general that prevailed for a century after the war, and still should, by the way, with the fact that he was a great admirer of both Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Indeed, Ed was perhaps the foremost scholar of the relationship between Lincoln and Douglas, which he asserted was the most profoundly influential friendship of Lincoln's life, affecting both the course and purpose of the Civil War and Lincoln's own approach to the integration of newly freed slaves into post-war American society. For the affluent, mostly white students attending Ed's Civil War lectures and tours of the nation's capital, the effect of his approach to learning from America's past without presuming to judge the key players of history from an unwarranted perch of contemporary moral superiority could be bracing even life-altering experience. One of those students, Kendra Carey, who later became Ed's assistant and practically a member of his family after his father's death, delivered one of the eulogies at Ed's funeral last month at St. Matthew's Cathedral in his beloved D.C., she recalled the dynamic walking tours of his hometown. She said he transformed the city of Washington, D.C. into his personal outdoor classroom. It was alive to Professor Smith, and his love for it made it a living, breathing entity. It was his academy, his classroom, and his stage. He filled us with memories of the forts, cemeteries, and statuary commemorating the hard-won battles that led to freedom for all men and women in this country, it was his room, and he knew it well. For me, Ed's passing offers an occasion to reflect on the triumph of a poisonous ideology built on racial division 
that has fed into the indiscriminate of, of uh, so many angry young ideologues lashing out against their country. It's an ideology diametrically opposed to the patriotic appreciation of America's complex history that Ed passed down to his students. It's also an occasion to reflect on another compl a complication that has kept African Americans alienated and marginalized since the large legal triumph of a civil rights uh, movement more than half a century ago, namely the decision of our political and corporate elites to sacrifice the middle class through the importation of cheap foreign labor while exporting the very American industries that made middle class life possible. Again, there's some more to read there, and you should. It, it is a lengthy piece. It's a great piece. Uh, Up in American Greatness by Brian Robertson came out yesterday. Um, and I could go on a while. I could, but I digress. I've already gone over the 30 minutes. I tried my best not to, folks. Some things need to be said. Uh, God bless you up in heaven, Ed Smith. Uh, you were a good and noble man. And... God, we need more like you right now. We need more men like you and the late great Walter Williams and others who actually studied history and learned from it and wanted wanted history to be taught as history. So many lessons to learn, but you can't learn them if someone's using the information and lying about the information and fabricating information to make you ideologically opposed to certain things today. And it's certainly not good when people, again, as reference in that column, uh, who uh, sit on their high perch of moral superiority of today and judge people from the past. Times change. People change. And I'm a firm believer in that. The left, of course, is not. And you can't judge the people who lived in the 18 and middle of the 19th century in what's getting close to the close to the. Uh, middle of the 21st century, frankly. But God bless this piece. Great piece. Uh, go read more of it. American Greatness has a slew of great material. Uh, I use them quite often on my daily top five on the Daily Gator. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it, my friends. If you wish to become a contributor, a monthly contributor uh, to the thedailygator.net, the podcast and the blog, uh, look up my uh, Spotify page. It's all you got to do, my friends. Spotify.com. And you will find the Daily Gator there. Just hit the Daily Gator Daily Thought. It'll take you to it. All the now 412 episodes are posted there. And I thank you so much for your time and your understanding that sometimes I just can't stop flapping my damn gums. Y'all have a wonderful weekend. I will be back tomorrow to do one of these. And, uh, Again, I appreciate your patronage and your time. God bless you and yours. Three rules to this blog, my friends, and to, to life, really. God bless America. If you're left, you just ain't right. And go Gators. Y'all have a good one. Enjoy your weekend. Hope you listen tomorrow and next week and into perpetuity, my friends. Y'all be good. Take care. Bye-bye.